welcome to episode 6 of God and Narcissism. Last time we talked about coping skills to use at church for when you're triggered in church, and this time we're going to be talking about whether or not it's okay to leave the church or take a break from church. So yeah, what have you guys experienced as far as church and the decision whether or not to stay or leave or take a break? Hmm. I mean, it's a loaded topic because on the one hand, you're thinking, well, the church is the embodiment of Christ here on earth. And, you know, we hear so much about how we're supposed to be in church for not just for fellowship, but because, I mean, that's how we act out as Christ here on earth. So it's almost like it feels like leaving the church means you're not being a good Christian sometimes. And a lot of people talk about it that way. But on the other side, there's also um, the problem of a lot of people in society see church as optional. So I, I hear a common phrase that says, I can um, do this whole thing myself and I don't have to go to church. And because we are the church, you know, there's the visible church, which is the building you go to with the people there you have fellowship with and then there's the invisible church or the universal church which is everyone who's a christian that you're a part of but i think people rightly so are coming back and saying no you actually do need to gather with other christians and do worship basically so i don't want to come at it as oh yeah it's totally fine to just go off and do your own thing from now into eternity because i do think there's a not just a theological but a psychological issue with that um but do you have to force yourself to go to church as regularly as possible, do the whole thing, throw yourself into it, and stay wherever you're planted? That's the other question. Because I've heard some people say, like, well, even if you think it's a problem, every church has problems, so you just need to stick it out and work on your heart kind of a thing. But what if your church is, like, super toxic? Mm-hmm. So I guess, like, how would you know those signs versus oh, this is me doing my I'm afraid of everyone thing and I hear everything wrong versus this is actually a big problem. Yeah, I also feel like I hear the message from the pulpit of um, everyone wants to get things out of the church and it's like not about you and what you can take but what you can give. So that whole Mm. like sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Um, And like if you want and need something from a church, you're in the wrong because that's not what the church is for which I disagree with. Um, But I understand what they're trying to say to a certain extent as well. Um, And so I think that's at least what I've heard like before I went to seminary and really, you know, even knew what the church was really for. In orthodoxy, um, church is a huge deal uh, because the way that you... um, go on the path of like in Protestantism we'd say sanctification they say salvation because it embodies they don't split it up like we do Mm. um is also through the worship experience the liturgy and the sacraments that are being delivered so like communion and things like that Mm -hmm. so it's really important to be a part of those things so they would say if you're not coming to church like that's that's a big problem um now there are some caveats of course and no one's like, where were you, you heathen? You know, if you don't come, you can't make it all the time. And they don't expect you to. 
but they do say you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you like just disappear, you know, that, that, that's an issue. Um, and what about you, Sam? Yeah, I've heard kind of some similar messages to Lee Presley. I've heard from the pulpit people say things like church is not an ice cream flavor where you go from church to church and you pick your favorite one and once you don't like that one anymore you jump to the next and so at least like it used to be that whenever I even thought about possibly finding a different church I would feel really guilty Mm -hmm. because I'm like oh I'm supposed to be loyal to one church and one church only Mm -hmm. and I'm supposed to grow there but then what do I do if I'm not really growing at all and in fact I'm falling apart most of the time because of the messages and can't connect with people and yeah I feel like those messages about like church hoppers aren't really meant for the population we're talking about because when they talk about the problem of church hopping which is a problem I think they really do mean that consumerist mentality I want the better band I want the charismatic pastor I want better sermons I want them to do more for me I don't want to grow with people I don't want to add to a community I want this to be like the next TV show I watch Mm -hmm. you know and church is more like what I get out of the experience um so yeah I can see that being a big problem but for us I don't think that's why people with trauma are church hopping right they're they're church hopping for quite a different set of reasons Yeah, and I've also, like, heard a sermon, and I actually think it was a good one. Like, I understand where they were coming from. And at the same time, it was like, I've heard people struggling with church hurt. I've seen them do it really well by, like, staying and sharing and being vulnerable um, with the community. And then people do it really poorly and, like, leave, take a break, don't share. And I didn't really like that, like, the wording of that. Right. And I felt like that kind of negates any responsibility of, like, if you're a safe person to share with. Or, like, if your response is safe and welcoming and accepting. Um, Because I was like, well... um, And it's a church I had taken a break from, and it was my first Sunday back in, like, months. And that was what it was. And so I felt like... At first, I was like, oh my gosh, he saw that I came and made the sermon about it, right? Because I was experiencing had just done that but then second I was like I get what he's saying and I've notoriously not felt safe sharing with this community which is why I did take a break and this Mm -hmm. is kind of proving to me that like I need to I want to go back to church but maybe this isn't the community I want to come back to yeah um and then I changed churches and I'm not not to say that like that sermon was so off-putting that I left the church it was just kind of like a yeah, this is what I was experiencing of, like, no responsibility taking. Kind of like, you're you're not doing it the correct Christian way. Or you're a bad member of the church because you chose not to do this. Right. Which, when there was a lot of reasons for that. I mean, that's a big ask. To ask someone to share that kind of vulnerability with a, with a group of people. So, right off the bat. I mean, even as counselors, we don't advise anyone to do that. Like, yeah, just jump off the cliff. Like, no, you, you kind of want to breadcrumb and see how, what people do with your breadcrumbs first mm-hmm. before you start giving yourself away like that. And if they're not doing a good job, then don't give them those don't parts of yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, sure, like, I get it that churches are like that, that, you know, that famous phrase, churches are hospitals. They're full of sinners. And so, you know, they're all going to mess up. There is going to be moments of unsafety. 
But the thing is, is like in any relationship, is the repair good? Mm-hmm. Can repair happen? And so I feel like some people say you should stick through it even if there's no repair. <laughs> it's like, um, that's not a safe environment, though. Mm-hmm. We don't do that in any other relationship. And that's not going to help with trauma responses. Yeah, and it's like if 90% of the time you're there, you feel unsafe versus like 20%, right? Like there's mm-hmm. a difference there. But the word you said that I kind of want to expand on is repair because mm-hmm. I think a lot of us maybe have not experienced that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, repair. So I always use the still face experiment to explain this one. The still face experiment was, um, I'm, I'm going to botch the details, but the main idea is um, it, there was a mother in front of her, her baby, and what the experimenters saw was that if she is paying attention to the baby, it seems to be all right and regulated, but as soon as she um, has her face go flat, she doesn't react to the baby at all, or she turns away her face it will the baby will try and get her attention through various methods laughing a lot doing the thing that it knows the mother thought was cute at one point and then eventually crying and getting really upset because the mother's face isn't reacting it isn't tuning in or she's turning away but then what happens is um everyone watching this experiment is like that's horrific that's like child abuse but the experimenters explain well then we have the mother turn back and re-engage and as soon as she re-engages then that's repair and it's almost like she comes and she soothes and she comforts and the relationship is okay again the baby is not going to be emotionally scarred from this experience because the mother repaired and so if you don't have repair if you're always with someone who's not engaging with you or reacting properly to you mirroring you feeding you emotionally then it's like there is no repair and you do experience that scarring so repair is any time that you come back from a conflict, like like we all do with our friends or spouses, and you try and make up so that the goal is I'm okay, you're okay, and the relationship is stable and we feel connected and safe with each other. Um, we often talk in counseling about good enough parenting. That's what this is. Every parent is going to make mistakes, sometimes terrible mistakes with their child. That's not what makes a parent bad. Um, because a good parent makes all those mistakes, but a good parent comes back and repairs with their child and so, so that the relationship can move forward. So that's repair. So in a church, if you are giving them to yourself and there might be people who make mistakes because they don't understand what you're talking about, or they have the best of intentions, but they're insensitive or they're not nuanced enough. If you all can work that out, if you all can repair that's the mark of a healthy relationship of of a healthy church and so for people to expect you to stick it out in a church when repair isn't happening that's an unrealistic expectation because we don't expect people to do that in any relationship but it was expected for us to do it in our parent relationship yes Mm -hmm. yeah so that can feel familiar or known which oftentimes we confuse with safety because it's like what you know versus like oh, this other thing is actually safe, but it's unknown and therefore unpredictable, which was also like the parent, and that feels um, unsafe to you just because you don't know what's going to happen or how to survive that. But you do know how to survive unsafety. That's perfect. Mm -hmm. Yes, repair takes both people. Mm -hmm. Um, Repair for us growing up was not repair. It felt like it, like you were saying, because we're the ones who would go and say sorry or try and connect and fix the relationship 
through self-sacrificial methods. And that's not repair, that's submission. Yeah. So with that, how do you all tell when a church is unhealthy and it's probably time to leave versus I'm feeling unhealthy and I don't know if this is me or them. I need to take a break and figure that out, that kind of a thing. When do you stick with it? That's such a good question <clears throat> and like very nuanced as well. <laughs> I don't know. This might be a bit controversial and this was just what I decided to do at one point. Doesn't necessarily mean it's right, <laughs> but there was one church that I went to for a number of years that I don't think is a terrible church and I think a lot of people find great stuff there and good relationships for me in particular it was very hard because the church was very formal and I already like I'm I don't have social skills so connecting with people and really getting to a place where I could feel safe and vulnerable with them was very hard because they already weren't very open to being vulnerable even with each other mm. which was fine for them and it was like a very kind of that that's just kind of the culture like of that area and of that church so that was very normal for them and going to that church I would I tried for a number of years to connect with people and to try to work through the sermons I was hearing and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse, the triggers over time. And I thought about like talking with the pastor, but at the same time I was like hearing like how helpful his sermons were for the rest of the people there who understood what he was saying. And I would talk with some of them and it was like, well, they're not hearing what I'm hearing. They're hearing something else that's beneficial for them. Mm -hmm. So it's like, do I really want to go and change all of that if it's working for really everybody else here? And so... I was really struggling with that for a while and at least for me personally it was getting to the point where I dreaded going to church so much that I was thinking about just never going to any church ever again and that's the point where I was like I just I don't think this is the place for me and it took I gave myself even even at that point I gave myself another year to try to go to counseling and work it out there and see if I could get help there to be able to understand the sermons better and not get as triggered. And after a year, even my counselor was like, why are you still going to this church? And so that's, at that point, after doing all of that work, I was like, okay, I don't think, I just don't think this is the place for me. It's the place for other people mm -hmm. and that's okay, but I can't stay here. And I ended up moving to a different church where right away it was easier for me to hear because the sermons were a lot more nuanced, the culture was different, it was smaller, so it was easier to get to know people, and I did better, much better in that environment. It felt safer to me. Yeah, the question that's coming up for me is, I don't know if you all have struggled with this or if maybe this is what counseling helped you to be able to do, but recognizing that like something can just be not not be a good fit and it doesn't mean that like you're bad or that, mm -hmm. that place yes. is bad that was really hard for me because I was like either they're in the wrong or I'm in the wrong and if it's me I need to change and if it's them I need to warn everyone mm -hmm. was kind of how I originally saw it um of like one or the other and then I'm I feel like therapy is what helped me be like 
oh, it could just not be a good fit and it doesn't mean anything bad about me and it doesn't mean anything bad about them. Yes. Just like you're saying, like, it's good for some people and it's not, like, evil. Um, but just being like, it's not for me and that's okay versus, like, it's not for me and therefore I need to change because it's helpful for all these other people. Yes. So I'm curious about that for you. I mean, I think that was exactly... You you put it perfectly. So, like, counseling helped you get to that point, not yeah. necessarily stay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, I, and I think the idea of it may not just be a good fit, that seems to freak out so many theologians. <laughs> like, what are you saying? Uh-huh. And it's like, it's not necessarily that, um, like what we were saying earlier, trying to just do the consumer church experience, what can I get? It really is that... I mean, if we took the the title church off and just said, here's a group of people, do you feel safe with them or not? I think people would understand. Mm -hmm. There are some groups of people and dynamics that it it really just cannot be safe for you um, or it just doesn't drive well. And I understand that way back in the day when communities were isolated and they all had to work it out because they were the only ones there. Sure, but you're also doing life with those people, like, every day, all the time. Right. We're not in a society like that. And so to risk with someone is infinitely scarier, Mm -hmm. because these are kind of, like, strangers that you have to get to know and work to build a community with. And if you have options to be with people that can be safe and nurturing in your faith, or people that aren't, why wouldn't you choose the ones that can can help you? Mm -hmm. Um. But I know that's, like, a really hard topic for, for some people who, who believe that you just need to stay no matter what. But that's the kind of thing that creates, like, tyrannical church structures. Well, and I feel like, too, there's there are some some pastors or church leaders who would say, well, safe isn't necessarily the most important because you need to be in a community that's challenging you. Mm-hmm. And you need to learn how to get along with people that you wouldn't otherwise, which to some degree... Yes, safety and comfort aren't always the same thing. And sometimes being challenged by people can lead to an increase in safety because they challenge you to be more Mm. vulnerable and to connect more. But I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Uh, Yeah, I think that sounds spot on. I think the difference is is like, um, again, you're looking for if there's conflict, there's repair. Mm -hmm. That's really what a hallmark of safety is. Does someone respect your boundaries? And if they break them, can they repair that with you? Being uncomfortable could just mean, like, well, that person's going to do what they're going to do. And I don't really know if I jive with this or this is out-of-the-box thinking. I mean, I may not like what's going on, but you're not unsafe. Yeah. You know, there's a difference. Um, I also, just on the side here, want to say to any Orthodox listeners or, or Catholic listeners, um or anyone in in something that's really more connected and unified, Um, when we say the church, we are meaning in more of that varied, like, church-building group of people. We're not talking about the universal church, and we're not talking about leaving the church as an institution itself. We're not talking about leaving Christianity. Mm. We're talking about leaving, um, like, let's say, a a certain group of people. Um, Because for the Orthodox, they'd be like, what? Leave the church? It's like... That's a really good yeah, point but, to make. But that's that's not what we're meaning. We're meaning the group of people that you worship with when you get together to worship God. At the building. Yeah, at the building. Typically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was kind of thinking, like, I kind of lost my train of thought in words, but the the main point is I think that the Christianese 
way of community is very like codependent and I feel like that's something that needs to be separated out more and so an example is I feel like I've listened to multiple stories over and over again where a girl goes up to another girl and is like hey as your sister in Christ because I care about you I want to point out a sin pattern I've been seeing in your life and it's blah 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 whatever it is and then it's kind of like I and usually at the end of the day it seems like it's just like a Christianese way of saying like I don't want to listen to you talk about this anymore because like I'm exhausted by listening to you and you not making a change and so it just feels like it's this I need you to change so that I'm okay and I don't want to say a boundary because I think that's mean um I don't know if y'all have had that experience but I just feel like a lot of the times the way that we're told to do community is very like not authentic you use all this Christian banter to try and control other people or feel comfortable like I don't know um it's just like a thought I'm having or something I've been seeing a lot it's just this like codependent way of being with each other in community that I think is actually really unhealthy I think that's funny you you brought that up because I had a friend just post something like that recently I'm gonna look for it I don't know if you have something you want to add Sam I identify with like struggling with like the Christianese and yeah yeah so um I'm Christian we make fun of our own but um (laughs) it was I'm in a season equals stuff has been hard fellowship equals chill hang God closed a door equals I got fired um God is calling me to something new I was terrible at my old position Uh, (laughs) God told me to slow down I'm burned out um at church I haven't seen you in a while are you a heathen now um I can feel God in this place equals you're a great audience. Stay loud. Um, I don't know what God is doing equals WTF is my life. (laughs) I'm just waiting in the Lord equals I'm pissed, but I'm holy for hiding it. (laughs) 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 And I know that and just, you know, that disclaimer, that's not what everyone means when they say this, but there is such a thing as Christianese. And it's that I don't know how to set boundaries. So I'm going to use this stuff instead. Um, I don't know if my emotions are okay, so I'm going to talk about it like it's all fine. Um, I don't know how to talk about something hard in my life without sounding like I don't trust God. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, even going meta with it, like at a cultural level, this is a problem. So maybe in other countries, they don't struggle as much with this community aspect, but here in America, and I know we have some listeners in other countries, here in America, everything's about the individual. And so learning how to do community is just really hard. We are not brought up in a community. Mm-hmm. We're brought up in a single family unit more often than not. Yeah. And it's like the church you go to, it's like, that's one community, but you have to drive out of your way and you see them twice a week, but you're supposed to be really vulnerable right off the bat. But then it's like you have people that you do life with. You have your friends from college, from high school, from work. Then you have work and then you have your neighborhood. And that typically I feel like is supposed to be all one Mm -hmm. where it's like that's the community. And so you have like all these and then everyone has those. So then it's like everybody has different communities that they're a part of. Yeah. And so it's just not as cohesive. 
as maybe it is other places. So I think what we're agreeing about is that, I mean, yes, there's a lot of gray here. Mm-hmm. And I think if you want help deciding if your church is a good fit for you in the sense of is it safe for you, not do I like it, is it the best thing ever, um, is getting some input, some third-person input, um, and really, like I think you were saying, Sam, you kind of checked off the boxes there. You were like, I'm going to look at what I don't like. I'm going to look at what could be me. I'm going to go talk to my therapist. I'm going to give it some more time after I've worked on myself before I, I really decide um, for me too, um, I talked to, since I'm Orthodox, I talked to my priest about my struggles and, um, I, I get to see how he does repair and I get to see, um, I get to bounce off stuff I'm worried about and he can help me kind of see like, sometimes he'll say, yeah, that's, that's a problem we have in this church. Um, that's something we need to work on. Maybe you can bring that to the table versus, I don't think that that's what anyone means. I would encourage you to go look at this resource and maybe we can talk about this again. You know, um, getting some, some extra input. Yeah. But there is a time where you should probably leave a church based off of some clear signals that it's an unhealthy place. And that's a little bit different from not a good fit. Mm-hmm. That's like this, so this is not... Um, a place maybe anyone should be. <laughs> like a cult? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when churches become cults. Right. When you kind of were making that transition, I noticed just my heartbeat like getting very fast and, and just like getting anxious. And so, and once again, I think it's like, oh yeah, that's what tells me when I'm safe or not. Like I definitely know what my, how my body feels when it's significant signaling unsafety Mm -hmm. so when you brought that up I felt that in my body Um, and I've learned to trust that over time and it's like anytime I feel like that majority of the time around a person or an institution I know to listen Um, but that took me a really long time to develop and understand but anyway as you brought that up I was just like oh it's good this is a lot you can feel it in your body that's Mm -hmm. one clue (laughs) what is your body saying yeah But maybe before we get into that, um, just know we we might spend some time here talking about cults and cult-like churches, especially because if you grew up with a narcissist, that may fly over your head. Um, And codependents sometimes really get mixed up in in cult-like churches or cult-like places. So we want to cover that. But after that, we are going to talk about, well, maybe your church isn't a cult, um, but maybe it's not the best fit for you. We touched a little bit on that, but there's more to say on that. And so we will get to that as well. But Presley has um, a neat checklist for us. Yeah, so this is from Spiritual Counterfeits Project, and it's newsletter 16-2. But the title of it is, Is Your Church Free from Cultic Tendencies? And then it says a checklist for responsible Christians. So this is just something you can go through to kind of get a feel for like, oh, maybe I need maybe there's a few flags here and I need to look into that more. Mm -hmm. Um, or maybe like, Oh, like this is solid. Um, just for you to kind of think about. So it says, is your pastor fully accountable to a board of elders, presbyters, etc.? Is loyalty to Jesus and to one's own calling placed before loyalty to the pastor and church? Does your pastor encourage questions and suggestions? Is he approachable? That's a good one. 
Does your pastor give equal attention to all kinds of people in his congregation? Also good one. Does your pastor readily admit his errors? Does your pastor avoid boasting or hinting at a special anointing? Is your pastor truly humble? Are the sermons based on clear biblical truths, not on original revelations or axe grinding? Do you know um, what that means? Go ahead and explain it. I don't know what that means. Oh, so like, well, especially going to like, we had a church one time a long time ago. Um, I won't disclose much just to protect it, but mm-hmm. um, the pastor would talk about special callings. He received it from God and special, um, like, not quite like visions or dreams, but coming off as though God was really channeling through him. Gave him special revelations. Yeah, for messages for the church. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Big red flag. Okay. Does your church church interact with other churches? Does your church staff avoid secrecy? Is power shared in your church rather than preempted by a hierarchy? Does your church see itself as just one organ of the body of Christ and not the main one? Is your church truly friendly? Does your church emphasize ministry to people rather than church programs? Are especially needy people cared for lovingly in your church? Are church members encouraged and loved even when they leave? Mm, That's a really good one. (laughs) Are relationships with former members encouraged or allowed? Does the pastor and congregation avoid attacking and using as object lessons former members of those who disagree? Wow. Are families encouraged to stay together and spend time together? Does your family worship together in the Sunday service, including children at least for part of the service? Are you encouraged in your own calling? Are pleas for money rare and unemotional? Are your children happy to attend church? Are you happy to bring unsafe friends to your church? Is there a diversity of classes, races, dress styles, ages, and occupations in your church? Are people encouraged to hear from God for themselves? Mm, Is there a single behavior standard for all people in the church? Are all types of people considered welcome at your church? Is the joy of the Lord present in your church? Are you free from fear in your church? Mm. Do you think more about God and Jesus than you do about your pastor in church? Does your pastor include himself in any calls for repentance and forgiveness? Are you clear the pastor and elders never exaggerate or lie to make themselves look good? Is your group encouraging of each other and free from gossip and rumoring? Is there humility of doctrine that points to the grace of God and his mercy for sinners? Are you encouraged to serve in ministries and missions outside the local body? Is there ever any pressure put upon members to give or lend money to leaders for their personal or business use? Like a private jet? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so that was that one. Any additions? Or... That was pretty comprehensive. I mean, that was great. Yeah. Um, okay. And then Mia's going to read another one that is really helpful. Yeah. So this source is... Um, the information is by Rick Ross, who's an expert consultant and intervention specialist with the Ross Institute. Woo, woo, woo. <laughs> <laughs> I do that because I have a special place in my heart for the Ross Institute. Um, okay. And I don't mean that condescendingly, like they're actually great. <laughs> um, so these are some cult warning signs. I'm going to read um, just the top heading here and then I'll, I'll pass it off to Sam. This is uh, 10 warning signs of a potentially unsafe group leader. Absolute authoritarianism without meaningful accountability. 
No tolerance for questions or critical inquiry. No meaningful financial disclosure regarding budget expenses, such as an independently audited financial statement. Unreasonable fear about the outside world, such as impending catastrophe, evil conspiracies, and persecutions. There is no legitimate reason to leave. Former followers are always wrong in leaving, negative or even evil. Former members often... Former members often relate to the same stories of abuse and reflect a similar pattern of grievances. There are records, books, new articles, or television programs that document the abuses of the group leader. Followers feel they can never be good enough. The group leader is always right. The group leader is the exclusive means of knowing truth or receiving validation. No other process of discovery is really acceptable or credible. And then we have 10 warning signs regarding people involved in or with a potentially unsafe group leader. So first we have extreme obsessiveness regarding the group or leader resulting in the exclusion of almost every practical consideration. Individual identity, the group, the leader, and or God as distinct and separate categories of existence become increasingly blurred. Mm. Instead, the followers mind these ideas Instead, in the follower's mind, these identities become substantially and increasingly fused as that person's involvement with the group and leader continues and deepens. And three, whenever the group leader is criticized or questioned, it is characterized as persecution. Four, uncharacteristically stilted and seemingly programmed conversation and mannerisms, cloning of the group leader and personal behavior. Then we have dependency upon the group or leader for problem-solving, solutions, and definitions without meaningful, reflective thought, a seeming inability to think independently or analyze situations without group and leader involvement. Then six, hyperactivity centered on the group leader agenda, which seems to supersede any personal goals or individual interests. Seven, a dramatic loss of spontaneity and sense of humor. Mm. Eight, increasing isolation from family and old friends unless they demonstrate an interest in the group or leader. Mm. And then nine, anything the group leader does can be justified no matter how harsh or harmful. And the last one, former followers are at best considered negative or worse evil and under bad influences. They cannot be trusted and personal contact is avoided. Nice. And then the last part of this handout is 10 signs of a safe group leader like what does that feel and look like so a safe group leader will answer your questions without becoming judgmental and punitive a safe group leader will disclose information such as finances and often offer an independently audited financial statement regarding budget and expenses safe groups and leaders will tell you more than you want to know (laughs) a safe group leader is often democratic sharing decision making and encouraging accountability and oversight. A safe group leader may have disgruntled former followers, but will not vilify, excommunicate, or forbid others from associating with them. A safe group leader will not have a paper trail of overwhelmingly negative records, books, articles, or statements about them. A safe group leader will recognize reasonable boundaries and limitations when dealing with others. A safe group leader will encourage critical thinking, individual autonomy, and feelings of self-esteem. 
A safe group leader will admit failings and mistakes and accept constructive criticism and advice. A safe group leader will not be the only source of knowledge and learning excluding everyone else, but value dialogue and a free exchange of ideas. So if you're in a cult, um, almost all of that's going to start immediately lighting up for you. There are some churches that can have unhealthy cult-like tendencies. It may not be a cult. So if you heard something that kind of rings true, it just means maybe investigate some more. Um, but, of course, every church is going to have unhealthy practices, unhealthy people. Um, and that's going to be just like in any relationship you have, though. A cult is quite a different thing. And I think as adult children of narcissists, you will know how similar it feels when you're in it. There was a time I, I visited a church that um, I think everything on the outside felt fine, but my body had a huge response being there. And I couldn't understand it because everything looked great to me. And my body was just freaking out. I mean, I was panicking. I had a pit in my stomach. I felt like crying. I was shaking. And everything seemed fine. And it wasn't until later um, when I, I just took that as a sign not to go there. But later things came out about that church that were very alarming and very cult-like. My, my body told me. And so it's also important to listen to huge reactions like that. You might have subtle reactions anywhere you go because of the nature of what we're dealing with. But huge reactions should be a big flag to you. Mm -hmm. So what if your church is in a cult, though? Do you just stick it out? Yeah, I think we brought up before, if there aren't repairs being made and if they're not willing to make repairs or willing to work things through with you or help you out, like, that's a red flag for sure. Mm. Um, another red flag is if you listen to our earlier episode on narcissism and you're like, oh, that's my leader. That's another <laughs> big red flag um, that it may not be a cult, but the leader may be just narcissistic, narcissistic and or toxic. Um, what else would you guys add? Um, I would add that if you've gone to a church and you leave more confused than when you got there mm -hmm. or you feel like disoriented for the rest of the week, um, it could just be not like a good fit with how you think about things and how things are communicated and you, and you learn. So I know, you know, I visited a few church where I went, churches where I've went multiple times and, um... I just don't think the same way and it just didn't I was just confused and just like didn't really get anything out of it um like the message like I just was like okay now I have like 20 questions and I don't feel like clarity or settled yeah I don't know if that makes sense no that makes sense um sometimes like if you if you don't get it like I mean that's that's not very helpful to you come down to like communication style yeah just like personality like differences yeah yeah in um orthodoxy and catholicism where there's not as much emphasis on the sermon um it is more about doing worship together and so you may not catch all of those signs because it's not so leader focused but in the same way are you confessing there's a lot of confession that goes on with um a priest who kind of speaks into your life um you look for the signs in that experience. When does this person um, try and get to know your trauma stuff right off the bat really quickly and then try and speak into it like they know everything about it? Is your priest 
acting like a therapist? Are they trying to get access to sensitive information? Do they share other people's information? Are they encouraging you to share that information too quickly? Um, do they use it against you later? Do they use it against you later? Do Is it their word or the highway? Um, and are they the only one who can talk about what's right for you at the expense of everyone else? Um, I remember when I first entered orthodoxy, I was wondering what, you know, some of the rules were about attendance things. And I have this, um, this chorus that I sing in, this chorus that I'm affiliated with in the city that has rehearsals, um, secular chorus. And I was going to miss some of the orientation kind of classes. And so I went to my priest and I was like, should I drop this, um, to come? Cause I don't want to miss these. I know these are important. Are they mandatory? And he just looked at me and he's like, a sign of a cult is when you can't, you have to get rid of the things you're doing and make everything about the, like what we're doing here and exclusivity. He's like, if you're making music and it's beautiful, that sounds worthwhile. Don't drop that for this. That's a good sign. You know, yeah. now, of course, as an adult child of an artist, I'm like, what if this is the hook, you know, but <laughs> you're, you're going to do that. But like, that's why I would also encourage you don't listen to your what ifs. Go based off of what you see that will help guide you the most because you can talk yourself out of everything and be hypervigilantly afraid of everyone and run that way. Um, so I would encourage you to only go based off of the actual behavior you are seeing instead of what could happen or what you're afraid of happening. Because other, if that were the case, if I listened to my head, I wouldn't be in church at all. Yeah. Well, I think it's important to like make an observation and then say like, this person could be unsafe or this person could be safe, but not hold it as factual. Mm-hmm. Like you're holding it as options and then you're finding out if it is factual later. Yes. So you're like testing it, you're exploring more, you're having conversations. Um, and I think that's like with anything in life, like I could meet somebody and be like, she hates people who are bigger than her. Like I could just get that impression from someone, but if I know that that's like not a fact, and maybe I like check that at the more I hang out with that person and it could be true. It could mm-hmm. end up being a fact, but it also could be not. And I have the ability to see that, oh, that's the impression I got, but I was actually wrong. And this is the fact, right? Yeah. She has social anxiety. Um, right. Or whatever it is. So I think that's kind of what you're alluding to. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Trust equals behavior over time. Yeah. Um, I have to do this. Pardon me. But that's not mathematically correct. Trust equaling behavior literally over time. Because then, like, the more time you have, the less... That doesn't make sense. So, mathematically, for all you nerds out there, it would be trust equals... Um, oh, what is it? I've got to say it. It's... Square root? No. <laughs> <laughs> that would also be bad. No, it is trust equals the integral of behavior with respect to time, where the limits are negative infinity to infinity... But the limits are arguable, so if anyone wants to help us out on that, I'm, I'm trying to perfect that. I don't Not understand like... a word you yes. just said. <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> All I kept thinking was that, like, Mean Girls of, like, the limit does not exist. Yeah, that would not be good. <laughs> that, that would not be good in this case. Um, so to keep going with what are other reasons, I think, and I don't know if this is, like, the therapy side of me. But I think sometimes you can see people's unawareness of stuff and how it, like, gets in the way. Mm-hmm. And so 
like, I was a part of a congregation for a while where I felt like some of this person's personal history really shaped the way he engaged with the community. And then I feel like the community kind of, I call it trauma bonding. That's what I kind of experienced. And I was just like, yeah, like, I don't want to be in a giant trauma bond with all these people. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it can feel really good sometimes mm-hmm. to be connected to people through that. Um, but as I was like healing, I was like, Ooh, like this doesn't feel good. And so, and it's not to say that that I'm like, Oh, don't go to that church. It's unhealthy, but it's just like, Oh, like I see where this is something this person's not aware, not aware of, and it's really impacting. And that's just like, not something I want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're still teaching biblical truth and doing community and all those things. Um, and I think that it was good for me to leave. So I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, but I know also know maybe I can see some of those things because of the training I've had. I mean, there was a church I heard of that would have everyone, as soon as they joined the church would stand up in front of a group and read their trauma story. Mm. I think that's highly inappropriate. Yes, you want to get to a place where you're very close with the members of your church, and in some sometimes even in that way, but that has to be over time and mm-hmm. has to be safe. With appropriate boundaries. And, yeah. yeah. And that's something we teach our clients, too, because mm-hmm. we have clients who either share nothing they or will overshare everything. with people, mm-hmm. and then they get taken advantage of or hurt. And you, you really do want to give people a little bit and see what they do with it first, and then really get to know and trust the relationship before you jump in like that and a lot of these people aren't equipped to know what to do with hardcore trauma either in some ways you can't none of us can really expect them to step in that way when they don't exactly know how you do need some professional help um but there are people who are ready and willing to support you and invest and care for you even if they don't completely understand but no church should be expecting you to do that right off the bat. That's mm-hmm. a huge red flag. Yeah. And I think, so I did take a break from going to any church for a while. I think it was a little over a year. Um, and I was in therapy working on that. But I think it was this pattern of like any time I heard a sermon or listened to anyone preach ever, I was pissed. Like I just could not give them a generous assumption. I could not not be trauma like I was having trauma responses just listening um and it's something I just could not do because of the type of healing work I was doing Mm -hmm. individually and so I think I gave this example either in the first or second episode but my therapist had said something to the effects of like if you break your leg you don't continue half playing on it and it doesn't heal properly and then you're never back to um where you were but it's like you break your leg you take a break you don't play that sport for a while it heals and then you come back and strengthen it and you can play either the same or better um and so when she kind of gave that analogy I was like like, yeah that makes a lot of sense and it made me feel kind of the freedom to um well like pray about it and actually be like oh god might be telling me that it's okay Mm -hmm. um and I would say, like, obviously you should pray, be praying about this. I don't think we mentioned that. Um, pro prayer. Pro prayer. Um, but yeah, and so I think that was really helpful and it's something I needed. And then when I happened to hear a sermon or I went with a friend to a church when I was like, maybe I can tolerate this. And I was realizing that most of the time I could give a generous assumption. Then I was like, okay, I need to start figuring out where I want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so that's kind of what it looked like for me. Something else to to consider, one thing that that's helped me a little bit as I'm either trying to figure out like which church to go to or whether to stay at a church is just looking at my relationship with God in general because there there is something to be said for like yeah I'm gonna get triggered in church kind of no matter where I go that's that's my assumption anyway at least at this point Mm -hmm, in, in my healing and that's okay to some degree like there will be times where just a particular sermon is very triggering but then the next Sunday I go to church and it's really not so bad or like there it there's kind of it kind of it gets better sometimes it gets worse then it gets better again and that's more manageable but when I'm in a place where I'm getting so triggered constantly that God is becoming very, very scary to me. Mm-hmm. And it's not just going to church. It's being at home, even thinking about praying to God or even thinking about reading scripture. And it's like, I don't, I don't trust him. I don't feel safe with him because of what these people are saying. When it gets to that point where that's constant, it's not just me getting triggered in the moment and then recovering it's, it's something that's becoming a pattern in my life where I can't get close to God anymore. Well, then, like, then church isn't really doing what church is meant for because, of, like, God's plan for church is to use it as a place where we can draw near to him and draw near to his people. And that's going to look rocky. But if it's progressively getting worse and driving you away, then just something to consider that's excellent i love that i was like that's the whole podcast that's the only part we really need (laughs) (laughs) just kidding but i really liked that no it's good if you i mean it's absolutely true that if if you can't view god as loving and that's something i think all of us will struggle with because of how we were raised but if you kind of get there but then you go to church and it feels like it undoes that and it's undoing those safer things you were striving for with God, that's that's a, a big sign right there. You know, if your church is not helping you at, in some way, either directly or indirectly, understand that God loves you and is not shaming you and is not this judge who's waiting to strike you down, but oh, thank you, Jesus, for coming and, and keeping his blow from my head. Mm-hmm. You know, like there, there's a severe problem if you were walking away from church and chronically holding uh, this shifting narrative of God. I think that's a brilliant way to assess what's going on and the root of whether your church is a good fit. Is your relationship with God improving? (laughs) Yeah, and then if you notice that it's every church you go to, then maybe that is an indication that you need to take a break and work on some of that trauma. Mm -hmm. But if it's just specific congregations, then okay, it's not a good fit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so now we're going to end with just a simple grounding exercise, and you may have different different ways that you've done this in the past, um, but this is one way that you can ground sometimes if you're feeling very disconnected from your body or very anxious. This kind of helps bring you back into your body and into the present moment. So whether you're driving or in your home or wherever you are, if you take a moment and you look around Take note of what you see. What stands out to you in your environment? Especially try to note if there's anything in your environment that is pleasant to look at. 
Maybe that's something in your favorite color. Or maybe it's a person or a pet. But take note of just visual things in your environment that you, you like the look of. And after you've done that, if you're, if you're in a place where you can find two different objects or textures, put one hand on one texture, and then with your other hand choose a different texture. Tune into your fingertips, into your palms, and if and what those two textures feel like. Is one softer? Is one harder? Is one more rough? One more smooth? Now tune into the temperature of those textures. Which one feels cooler? Which one feels warm? Or are they kind of both neutral or one neutral? As you tune into those textures, think about which one you like the best. Which one feels pleasant to touch? or soothing or comforting. And if you don't like either of them, feel free to choose a different texture and to note what it is about that texture that feels pleasant to you compared to the others. Then moving on from that, take a moment to listen to your environment. What, what are some of the sounds that you hear around you? You may be hearing the sounds of traffic, or people, birds, animals, an AC unit, rain. If there are any sounds in your environment, think about which ones stand out to you as being either pleasant or neutral, something you like to listen to. And if you don't have anything pleasant to listen to, think about a song that you like, and you can imagine it playing for a moment. And then after that, focus in on your sense of smell. Is there anything you can smell around you, especially anything pleasant? Could be a candle, cologne, perfume, or the smell of new car, the smell of grass or trees, any smell that smells pleasant to you that you like, or that's soothing. And then finally tune into your sense of taste. If you have any food near you or some water to drink or tea or coffee, something pleasant could be a mint piece of gum. If you don't have something with you, you can imagine something that you like to taste, especially something comforting or nostalgic. What do you like about that taste? So after going through all the five senses, think about which ones stood out to you the most. Which ones did you find most calming? There may be one or two that you liked the best, and there may be a few that didn't really resonate with you, and if that 
if that happened, that's okay. That's natural. Sometimes you can use the ones that work best for you and focus in on those instead of doing all of them if that works better for you. So that's a grounding exercise that you can keep in your toolbox for whenever you need to use it or want to use it. Thank you for joining us for today's episode.